As we gather tonight, our nation is at war, our economy is in recession, and the civilized world faces unprecedented dangers. Yet the state of our union has never been stronger. Now those were the words of President George W. Bush some 141 days after 9-11. Thank you guys. We're in this series right now called Renovate. And we're talking about how we're all under construction. And I know that many of you remembered this week the 9-11 event that took place. I remember where I was. How many of you remember where you were when that took place? I think most of us do. And I remember, as you do probably, watching TV and seeing these planes slam into the World Trade Center and just sort of being sitting there in stunned disbelief. The real tragedy being that, you know, we never saw it coming and they used the element of surprise when they hit us as a nation. But did you know that the war on terror is not the only battle or war that's being waged right now around us? In fact, um, there's a battle being fought all around us, even right now as I speak. In fact, I faced this battle as I prepared the message for today. Um, I'm talking about the battle for our minds, the battle for our minds. You know, Satan, Lucifer, the devil, he knows a lot about our minds. He's been around a long time, and ever since the Garden of Eden, he's been trying to trick and trap us in our minds. In that famous poem written by John Milton called Paradise Lost, Milton's character of Lucifer says something. He says, the mind is its own place and in itself can make a heaven of hell a hell of heaven. Some of you know about the fact that inside your mind can be a very dark place sometimes. Well, we're in this series called Renovate, and this morning I just want to talk to you about three thoughts that are on my mind. And I faced this battle this morning. I, I've got to share this with you because to me it was one of God's ways of saying there's something important that he wants to say to us this morning. I was on my way to church this morning on Old Elk Neck Road, and there's a, a, a specific part of that road that's um, a little tricky when you come around a corner and there's a stop sign where people coming this way, they feed into it. And as I was coming around, a gentleman just came right out in front of me as if I wasn't there. And um, there was a car coming this way, and I slammed on my brakes like I haven't slammed on them in a long time. And I haven't been that scared since I totaled my car many years ago. And I thought to myself, okay, Lord, what's Satan trying to kill me for? that the people need to hear so badly this morning? What is it that you want to say to us this morning that's so important? It's a battle. It's a constant battle. Some of you say, oh, Brad, that's just coincidence. That's just cars. That's just physics. That's fine. Some people believe in, in coincidences. I believe in God's sovereignty. I believe in God's in control. And so I'm thankful that we have our guardian angels with us all the time. But there's a battlefield, and it's your mind. That real estate in between your two ears is what God and Satan are wrestling for. And so it's a very important issue. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 
this morning. You're, you're welcome to turn there. Uh, it'll be up on the screen for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says this. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. In other words, we don't fight with politics. We don't fight with money. We don't fight uh, with uh, intimidation. We don't use the world's tactics. On the contrary, excuse me, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power, divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, you know, uh, divine power, when I say power, I mean, you know, we've just seen Hurricane Florence, the power of, of Hurricane Florence. Have you seen some of the images, some of the videos? Isn't it, isn't it really awe-inspiring when you're standing there and all of a sudden the ocean uh, it just bubbles over with waves and it creates damage and you're sitting there thinking, wow, I feel really small compared to the ocean and compared to nature. That's called natural power. When a wave can flood a community. This is, this is beyond natural power. This he says, the weapons that we fight with have divine power. Remember Jesus when the disciples were in a storm, he said, peace, be still. And everything stopped. All of nature stopped to hear the voice of creator. That's divine power. The ability to bring something out of nothing. He says, that's the kind of power we have. We have those weapons. It's a supernatural power. It's more powerful than Florence, which is natural. It's nature. Supernatural power, divine power to demolish strongholds. You know, when you have renovation, usually as you're renovating, you got to do some demolition. And so the Bible says we demolish strongholds, those things that Satan gets us with in our life. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. What, what are they talking about? They're talking about things like atheism. Uh, scientism, uh, hedonism, secularism, all of the isms that raise themselves up and say, ah, well, you know, we don't believe in God because whatever, their argument. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Very important passage. We take captive our thoughts or our thoughts take us captive. Have you noticed that? Either you possess your thoughts or your thoughts possess you. It's, it's usually one way or the other. Uh, Horace said, rule your mind or it will rule you. And that's what we're talking about today. God, when he starts to transform us in our life, when he starts to renovate our life, he starts in the mind. He starts in the mind. Now, September is suicide prevention month. How many of you knew that? September is Suicide Prevention Month. It seems like every few months there's another high-profile person taking their life, and we're hearing about it. But the, the real statistics, daily statistics, are much more grim. Why is this message important today? Why is the battle for the mind so important? It's because of things like suicide. People take their life because they lose this battle in their mind. There are other ills in our society. You know, it's things like suicide, drug overdose, addiction, fatherlessness. 
certain types of poverty, many other ills in society. They can all be connected back to the battle for the mind, what you think, the way you think. So this morning, I just want to share with you three thoughts on the renovation of your mind. And if you're taking notes, you might want to write this first one down. If not, just memorize it in that steel trap there. Don't believe everything you think. I'm just going to share a few principles with you, three thoughts. Don't believe everything you think. I like what Rick Warren says. He says, we naturally feel that if we think something, then it's got to be true because it comes from within us. But just because you think something doesn't make it true. How many of you would agree with that? Just thinking something doesn't make it true. And the Bible, you know, the Bible uses at least a a dozen different words and phrases in describing our mind. Listen to what it says. It says our minds are confused, Deuteronomy 28, anxious. In Job 17, it says our minds are closed. They're evil. They're restless in Ecclesiastes 2. They're rash. They're deluded. Some of you right now, as, as I'm preaching, you're fighting the battle of the mind. You're fighting, a, trying to pay attention to me, but also your mind wanting to drift to other things you're going to do today. That's part of the battle for the mind. You know, when, when I want to ponder, my mind wants to wander. When I want to pray, my mind seems to just want to stray. Does your mind ever have a mind of its own? Mine does. My mind is often very rebellious. My mind is very disobedient sometimes. And I have to tell it where to go. Or it tries to tell me where to go. That's how our minds work. The Bible says, we talks about troubled minds. Elvis talked about suspicious minds. God talks about troubled minds. God describes depraved minds, sinful, dull minds, blinded, corrupt. Now, I don't want to shock you, but everyone has a mental illness. Everyone has a mental illness. What do I mean by that? Everyone has a mental illness, and it's called sin. Now, there, of course, are suggestions that come into our mind when we're watching TV or we're, we're constantly uh, being messaged by the world with certain things. Of course, Satan throws things into our mind at times, but your problem and my problem is much deeper than that. And the Bible says it's sin. And that sin is the reason our minds are broken. Sin has broken our minds. Jeremiah 17, 9 says the heart or the mind, that's the seat, the very core of, of all that you do in your life, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Have you ever been caught in a lie? I have. I remember, I remember the, the first lie I remember telling was when I was in kindergarten. I was five years old, and it was a Friday, and everybody was sharing about their summer adventures. It was back to school, and, and I, I listened to my classmates tell about their fun summers, and I thought, I didn't do anything like that. I didn't do anything cool. I didn't do, go, the, you know, go to France or, or uh, get a, a new bike or anything like that. So I just, you know, I did the next best thing. I just made something up on the spot. 
And I said, this is what I did in the summer. And I, I was just rolling. And you know, you know how you, when you're a five-year-old, it just gets bigger and bigger. And the clap, my, my, my uh, friends were just like, wow, hang it, that, that's great, Brad. And then I get home and my mom says, Brad, did you, did you talk to your class today? Yes, mom. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, evidently the teacher had talked to my mom. And she made me, and I had to confess, yes, I lied. And my mom said, you're going to go in there tomorrow. Maybe it was a Monday, I don't remember. She said, you're going to march in there tomorrow, and you're going to confess to your class. I was like, what? So I go back in, I have to confess, I was humiliated. And I thought from then on, you know, I don't think I want to lie anymore. (laughs) My mom stopped that and tried to nip that in the bud right there. And so sometimes we know what it's like to be caught in a lie. Have you ever caught yourself telling someone else a little white lie? Like when they, someone says, hey, how you doing? And, and you go, oh, I'm good, I'm great. But then in your mind you're thinking, oh, I'm not really doing that good right now. And if I were a little more honest, I might tell them, but, you know, I don't think I want to say all that right now. Ever catch yourself telling yourself a lie? You know, when we lie to ourselves, sometimes we, we lie to ourselves all the time. We tell ourselves that things are not as bad as they really are. We tell ourselves that things are better than they really are. We tell ourselves we're okay when we're not okay. That it's no big deal when it is a big deal. That's why we can't believe everything we think. Just because we have a thought doesn't make it true. One of my favorite verses in the Bible comes from Numbers 23. It says, God is not a man, so he does not lie. And I want you to notice, being human or being a man is synonymous with being a liar. Now, that that doesn't mean just men, ladies. I I don't want you to think it's just saying uh, fellas. No, no, that's to be man or woman, humankind. God is not a man, so he does not lie. If God was a man, God would lie, because to be a man is to be a liar. To be human is to have this penchant toward lying. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he promised and not carried it through? It's a rhetorical question. Of course God, when he makes a promise, always keeps it. Always. One of the reasons that we must not believe everything we think is because we see what we want to see. You ever heard, did did your mom or or your spouse or somebody ever tell you that? Oh, you just see what you want to see. Well, there's actually some scientific proof for that. I, I heard that the optic nerve It's that nerve that goes from the back of the retina all the way to your brain. Scientists have actually seen in tests there are more impulses that are coming from the brain to the eye forward than there are from the eye to the brain backward. What does that mean? It means when you look at something, your brain is telling you what you are seeing. You are seeing what you want to see. We are naturally wired to miss the point. We're naturally wired not to see what's really there. And so we have to fight. All of us have blind spots. Some have bald spots, but all of us have blind spots, right? All of us. That's why you can pass somebody in the hallway, and they look at you, and you look at them, and 
and they give you a dirty look, and you think, why did they give me a dirty look? What did I do? Well, they weren't really giving you a dirty look. They were just having bad digestion from the lunch they just ate, you know? We, we, we tell ourselves what we see sometimes. That's why just because you think it doesn't mean it's true. So don't believe everything you think. Secondly, furnish your mental space with God's grace. That mental space that you have, your mind, so important. I want you to imagine with me for a minute that you live in a mental apartment. How many of you have ever lived in a real apartment in your life? How many of you still live in an apartment? Okay. So you have frame reference here. Imagine that you have an apartment. It's your mental apartment. And your furniture in the apartment represents your thoughts, your beliefs, the way you think. You've had the same old furniture for a long time. It's tattered. It's torn. The same old furniture. You've had the same old thoughts, the same old beliefs, the same old way of thinking for a long time. You got hand-me-down furniture from your family, your old way of thinking from parents, teachers, friends in your past. It's your old way. But, but now let's say you want to clear out your mental apartment. So you decide to get rid of all of your old furniture. You know, you decide to make a change. You say, I, I'm going to change some things in my life. My life's going to get better. I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to get healthy. I'm going to start believing better things about myself. I'm going to start being more positive and on and on. So you decide, I've got to change the furniture in my mental apartment. I've got to get this old stuff out of here. This is what's holding me back, keeping me down. So you take all the old furniture out and you store it out of sight in your garage. The next morning, you wake up to a beautifully empty mental apartment. All the bad, tattered furniture is gone. It's, it's out now. It's empty. No old negative furniture, no old easy chair of negative opinions. No old desk with drawers full of bad attitudes. All that stuff's gone. So what do you do next? Well, you kind of stare at the emptiness. After a while, you get bored, so you go out to the garage and you start bringing back in some of the old furniture because you don't have anywhere to sit. There's, you know, at least your old furniture gave you somewhere to sit. At least you were familiar with it. So you go out to the garage, you start bringing it back in, and you start finding a spot for it again in your apartment, your mental apartment. Finally, after just a day or two, your men mental apartment is filled back up with, with, with all of the old furniture that you had just resolved to move out. Why did you bring it back in? Because we didn't have anything to replace the new furniture, to replace the old furniture. There was no new furniture to replace the old furniture. If you want to get rid of the old furniture in your life, you have to replace it with something better. You have to get new positive furniture, new thoughts, beliefs, new ways of thinking. So what is the new furniture? For Christians, it's God's Word, the Bible. That's the new furniture. Now notice, notice what Jesus says. Jesus teaches this principle when he's talking about demons. Now, some of you say, Brad, can we really believe in things like demons today? Well, I do. I do. I believe in demons. I don't, I don't think it's that far-fetched to believe that there are spirits in the world. There are things that you can't see in the world just because of, there are other things you can't see, and they're real, like gravity, emotions, all those things. 
Notice what Jesus teaches in Matthew 12. He says, when an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert seeking rest but finding none. This is Jesus teaching now. Then it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds its former home empty, swept, and in order. Notice those three things. Empty, swept, and in order. All the old furniture's gone. It's out. It's completely clean now. No clutter, all that. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there. And so that person is worse off than before. That will be the experience of this evil generation. What he's saying is, once you clear out the old ways of thinking, the old beliefs, the things that were holding you back, you must now fill the empty space with something good and something better. And for us Christians, it's the Word of God. God gives us His truth to fill our mental apartment with. Now, how do you do that? How do you furnish your mental space with God's grace? Well, a friend of mine used to say it this way, he said, you got to trace it, face it, and replace it. He says, you got to trace it. Whatever that belief is, you know, in every situation you're in, you got to ask yourself, what am I believing in this situation? All sin begins with a lie. Every time you and I sin, what we're saying is, I know better than God. I know what's good for me better than God knows what's good for me, so I'm going to do what I want to do. All sin begins with a lie. So I have to ask myself, what am I believing in this situation? Am I believing a lie? I saw a headline, <clears throat> I saw a headline yesterday uh, on the news feed, and it said, wife cheated on husband because she thought he was cheating. I was like, now how stupid is that? I was like, you kidding me? She thought it was true. And it ended up not being true. And boy, what did she do? That, that's the kind of stupidity that happens in life. You know, <clears throat> we, we think something's true. We, we believe it. We're sincere about it. We, we, we bank our life on it, and then it turns out that it's wrong. That's what happens sometimes in life. How do you furnish God's God's grace into your mental space. Well, you trace, face, and replace. If you, you've got to trace that belief. What am I believing in this situation? And then you've got to face it. Do I want to continue believing this? Or am I going to confront this and get this out of my life? And then you've got to replace it with God's truth. With God's truth. A, a lot of people, a, a lot of people, uh, this is very important. So if you don't, if, if you miss any, everything I say this morning, listen close. I want you to come in close right now. I want to share something with you very important. When temptation comes in your life, don't resist, replace. So, for example, if my mom says to me, Brad, here's a, a, a jar of cookies. You know, I'm a little kid. She says, Brad, here's a jar of cookies, and I don't want you to eat those cookies, Brad. And I say, you got it, Mom. And I stand right there, and I look at those cookies. I said, I don't want those cookies. I don't want them. I'm not thinking about them. I'm not going to think about them. Boom. <laughs> I get it. I eat it. And why do I do that? 
Why do I resist? See, what you resist persists. If I tell you, don't think about that pink polka-dotted elephant, stop thinking about the pink polka-dotted elephant. Stop it. Now, probably most of us, no matter how hard you try, you're going to think about a pink polka-dotted elephant. Why? Because what you resist persists. That's why some of you can't stop that addiction. That's why some of you aren't able to overcome this certain area in your life. Why? Because every time that thought comes, you fight that thought. You fight that thought and you get weaker and weaker and tired. And finally, you just give in. Don't do that. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It doesn't say resist temptation. It says resist the tempter. I think you would have a totally different experience if the next time temptation comes into your life, you don't fight the thought, you stop and you say, Satan, in the name of Jesus, get behind me. I will not do this. Because then you're not just dealing with some kind of thought, you're dealing with a person. It's the person who's trying to bother you, and he's real. And the Bible says, don't just resist, don't, don't just resist temptation, resist the tempter. Jesus did that when Satan came to him in the desert and and tempted him three different times. What did Jesus do? Jesus just didn't sit there and battle his own thoughts. He spoke and he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by by the word of God, by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He, He just directly addresses it. Trace it, face it, and replace it. So when that temptation comes, don't resist, replace. Just change the channel. Just change the channel. So for example, if I'm having a thought I don't want to have, rather than fight that thought and try not to think that thought, when that thought comes into my mind, I just switch and I start reading. Or if that thought comes into my mind, I just turn the channel and I start watching TV. Or if that thought comes into my mind, I just, I go for a walk. If that thought comes into my mind, I just focus on my family and I start a conversation with my children. All I'm doing is replacing, changing the channel. That's all I'm doing. Replace it. Now, there's two things I've found in my life that really helped me with this and I think they'll be helpful for you. And that is confession and confession, okay? Confession and confession. Confession, just as an example is, this is an example of confession from the Bible. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. That's confession. That word C-O-N, con, means with. So confession is agreeing with God about our sin. It's just agreeing with God. It's just saying, God, you're right. Whenever I said what I said, it was a lie. You're right, Lord. I'm so sorry. I need to... I need you to forgive me. So you're acknowledging your sin. That's confession. Confession is found in Philippians 4. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So confession is telling God what I've done. Confession is telling myself what I can do through God. And there's an appropriate time and space for both in your life. Thirdly, as we're talking about just three thoughts this morning that have been on my mind and about the mind, deny Satan a place by slowing your pace. 
Notice this from Ephesians. Paul speaks and says, with the Lord's authority, I say this. Now, whenever Paul writes in his letters, there, there are sometimes when Paul will say, I'm telling you this, but it's not necessarily from God. He makes a differentiation between when he's speaking and when God's speaking. In this particular occasion, he says, this is from God's lips. This is by the Lord's authority. This is not just Paul speaking. This is God Almighty speaking. With the Lord's authority, I say this, he says, live no longer as the Gentiles do. What's a Gentile? In the Bible, a Gentile was a non-Jew. A Gentile would have represented someone who doesn't know God, someone who maybe doesn't believe in God, maybe somebody who believes in God but has never had a relationship with God because they don't know how to come through Jesus Christ. Gentile is someone who doesn't know God. He says, for they are hopelessly confused. Like you two saying, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. They're just confused all the time. Always longing, never finding. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ, he says. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God. You see, you cannot be God, but you can be more like God. One of the oldest lies Satan tells us is you can be God. That's one of the oldest lies. That's what Satan wanted. Satan wanted to be like the most, he wanted to be God, be like the most high. We can't do that. No matter how many self-help books you read, you'll never get to a pinnacle in your life where you are a God. But you, I mean, you can't even fix your own problems, much less the problems of the world. If you were God, you'd be fixing all the problems in the world. But you're not, and I'm not. So we can't be God, but we can be like him. We can be more like him. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth. For we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. Some translations say, and neither give place to the devil. What's he saying? See, I believe one of the reasons that many people struggle with this battle for the mind is because they've given this place this, in their mind over to Satan. And what it requires of us to change that is to slow our pace. You know, when he tells us, he says, verse 22, throw off your old sinful nature. How do you do that? By the way, to throw off your old sinful nature takes T-I-M-E, time. Sometimes you have to slow down and rather than rush out the door and go do 50 different things, you have to stop, sit down on your couch, and go, Lord, I'm going to take a few minutes here, and I want you to speak to me. It hasn't even gotten 
you know, to be 10 o'clock yet in the morning and I'm already struggling. Can you help me, Lord? I want to throw off this old nature. The way that you do that is through prayer. Through prayer. You throw off the old nature. You say those words, Lord, I, in the name of Jesus, throw off the old nature right now. That's what you do. You say it. Use the word of God. Fill that mental apartment with God's grace. Lord, with your power and your strength, I now throw off the old nature in Jesus' name. I ask you to renew my mind and spirit. That's something God does in us. He renews us. It doesn't say necessarily that you renew yourself. It says allow yourself to be renewed. Let God strengthen you. But see, that takes time. And a lot of times, I'm, I'm as guilty as anybody. We sit down and go, okay, God, you got 30 seconds, go. All right, that was good talk. <laughs> I'll see you later. And you're out the door and you're doing what you want to do the rest of the day. And sometimes that's what happens. But if we really want to win the battle for our mind, we've got to slow down. That's about as un-American a message as I can give you this morning. Don't be so busy that you miss God in your life. Deny Satan the place he wants by slowing your pace. You've got to slow down long enough to hear God's voice in your life. If you don't slow down, God will make sure you slow down by giving you a few weeks in a hospital because your health runs down. Or he'll allow a Hurricane Florence to come in so he can get somebody's attention. If you don't slow down, God will find ways of slowing you down. That's what I've discovered in my life. So I would much rather slow myself down and just listen for his voice than for him sometimes to have to intervene and slow me down in a different way that I'm not going to like. Don't give the devil a place. This battle for the mind is important. Uh, really, I think that Satan did not want me to say this to you this morning because he doesn't want you to, to hear this. He doesn't want you to apply this. He'll do everything he can to make you forget about this. But I encourage you, ask the Lord to seal it on your heart this morning. Ask the Lord to help you in this area for the mind. If you don't think it, you won't do it. Your mind controls your life. Ask God to help you in controlling and managing your thoughts and in your mind. And God will renovate that. God will create a beautiful, beautiful new tapestry in your life. The Bible says God makes all things beautiful in its time. In its time. God will do that. But it takes time for God to make something beautiful. Will you let God have the time he needs in your life? See, Brad, how do I do that? You know, put yourself in time out. <laughs> put yourself in time out. When I was a little kid, I used to get put in time out. Now that I'm a dad, I used to put my kids in time out. What did I want them to do? I just wanted them to think. Just slow down. Think about what they did. Think about what they said. 
slow down and have a message, you know, where they could hear me as a parent. That's all God wants. He just wants to be heard. He wants to relate to you and me. Put yourself in time out this morning and let God speak to you. Let's pray together.